Open your Bibles, if you would, as we remain standing for the reading of God's Word to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 4. We've been zipping through the book of Hebrews. And as I've stated numerous times, the thrust of this epistle, or better yet, this message, this letter, uh, has been the superiority of Christ. We saw in chapters 1 and 2 um, the message. We saw the, that him uh, presented as the king of the angelic world. Uh, we saw in chapters 3 and 4 that he is, he is a superior prophet, uh, specifically a superior prophet to that of Moses, um, superior to Moses. Now he begins um, uh, to get into uh, the superiority of Christ as the high priest, this is one of those areas where the chapter-verse division sometimes uh, gets in the way. Chapter 14 is sort of an introduction, or verse 14 through 16 is kind of an introduction to chapter number 5. Um, but we're going to get into this, and as we uh, continue, even through chapter number 7, we're going to see Christ presented as a superior high priest. But for today, let's examine the sympathetic and helpful nature uh, that is this high priest. Now, uh, moms, don't worry. I know uh, it's Mother's Day, and, and some may be expecting a Mother's Day message. And so uh, I promise you that if we allow our attention to be simply on the person of Jesus Christ for a moment, you'll see the connection by the end of this. So take a look with me, if you would. Chapter number 4 of the book of Hebrews, starting in verse number 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to back up to verse 15 with me, if you would, and let's read this once more for emphasis. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. Father, bless now the reading of your word and help us to grasp the reality that it is your word. And that, Father, as we hear it, that it is our responsibility and duty to apply it, and to respond. So, Father, I pray, Lord, a special blessing on not only the hearers, but on those who would be doers of your word. pray that you would bless this time, be with all the different families represented today and all those who may be traveling for Mother's Day. pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As we get into this, I guess there's several questions that could uh, come as a result of uh, this text. You know, some of the questions that go into my mind, does, does being a Christian give me any advantage in living in this world, or uh, does God really expect me uh, 
to live a certain way, to continue a certain way. But the one question I'd like to uh, focus in on today is how can I persevere, especially how can I persevere in a world like this one? I don't know about you, but do you find it difficult sometimes uh, to move forward in the Christian life amidst all that is around us? You find oftentimes you you can't go to the grocery store today without uh, being uh, thrust into uh, something that is illicit, immoral, and, and here you are, you find yourself, I'm just trying to buy a can of beans. I did not want to see that magazine on the rack as I was walking out. Uh, you find yourself in many positions, many situations, especially in today's day and time, the culture that we live in. This world that surrounds us, it is becoming increasingly uh, uh, unpopular to simply be one of his. I mean, the world pulls us in so many different directions, and, and it is up to us to understand and to recognize the directions that we are being pulled and to recognize the directions we're going to allow ourselves uh, to be uh, driven or pulled, and it is something that we allow. I, I, there's there's no magical uh, thing that takes place when we become children of God where from now on your life is going to be perfect and you're never going to suffer temptation again. That's not the case. We still live in this world. The trick is learning how to be in the world yet not of the world. And that's what we're hoping to try to accomplish as we look at the Word of God today and as we dig into this idea of perseverance. You know, the, uh, the, the topic, the perseverance of the saints, sometimes is sort of a, 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 a bad, you know, verbiage. Some people, they get excited when you want to talk about the perseverance of the saints. Other people get really nervous. And some people, you know, it's just, it's kind of, it's one of those areas where, uh, you know, you really want to watch a fight start. You know, you, you know who you can and can't talk about certain things about with. But this is one of those areas that we really need to understand the idea of persevering. Let's look at a couple sister uh, uh, verses, sister passages, for just a minute before we go any deeper into this study. Go back with me just a few books, back into the book of Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter 1, and notice verse, uh, start reading with me verse 21. Colossians 1 verse 21 says, And you, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Stop for just a minute to understand what's taking place. Most millennials and younger may have no idea what I'm talking about when I say reconcile your checkbook. (laughs) You you do what? I got an app that takes care of all that for you. And so we have the in our in our understanding here of what it means to reconcile, to be reconciled. We are made right. And so when you're reconciling your checkbook, you're going through and you're you're looking at the debits, the credits, and you're checking your bank statement, and you're making sure that everything is above board. People today could be robbed blind because they don't know how to reconcile a checkbook, and the, the bank could just be, you know, delete, delete, delete. People would have no idea in today's day and culture because they expect, well, I put money in there. It's going to be there. So you've got this reconciliation, and if you find that there's something wrong or there's a check that's not right, it's not been, de- and you're like, wait a minute. We, we need to get this fixed, right? This is what God has done. He has reconciled us, made us 
right. Following on, verse 22, Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blame unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Catch the next word. If. If. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Catch what he's saying. He says, in the sight of God, you are not blamable. In the sight of God, you are not reprovable. If you continue. Now, people don't like that idea because, well, wait a minute. I thought when I got saved, I was always saved. We're talking two different things here. The idea is not you will be saved if you do this, but if you are saved, you will be doing this. This is what it, we looked at this several, a couple chapters back. We looked at this several times as we've been going through the book of Hebrews. The idea is not you earn your salvation by living this way, but if you are saved, you will live this way. So if you're not living this way, guess what, my friend? You have nothing to stand on as far as whether you truly are born again by the Spirit of God. That's scary ground. This is something that we need uh, to to be honest with ourselves about. Look at John chapter 8 with me. Go back to John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. Jesus has just spoken with the, uh, the woman there at the well. You make your way down. He starts talking in verse number 12. He starts uh, uh, exposing himself as the light of the world. And then he makes his way down through. And notice what he says in verse number 31 in reference to being of Abraham's descendants. Notice what he says. John chapter 8, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believe on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do, do, do you all realize that if you were to go to the Harvard campus today, there are places on Harvard's walls where you can find, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, inscribed on their archways. I wonder how many of them remember the verse that took place preceding this where it says in verse 31, Then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. In other words, you're not following me if you're not continuing in my word. Not Andy Lake's version. God's word. Go back with me, if you would, toward the end of the book, to the book of James. We're in the book of Hebrews as our main thrust, the very next book, the book of James. Look at verse number one, or chapter number one, I'm sorry. James chapter number one. A lot of people don't like 
uh, the, the book of James. Martin Luther did not want the book of James in the Bible because he, uh, he missed a, a, a very important point about it. Some people say that there is a, uh, there's an argument between Paul's words and say Romans and James's words over here. And they say, well, you see, they're contradicting one another because Paul says that you're only, uh, justified by faith. But over here in James, he says you're justified by your works. So which is it? Faith or works? It's faith seen in my works. Because the idea that Paul is trying to present is how you are justified before God. If you read the justification by works in the book of James, in context of what's being said, he is talking about how faith, our faith, is justified before man. And so if I want you to know I'm truly born again, or if I want to look in the mirror of God's word and know if I'm truly born again, then my works is what's going to reveal that. But to God, I'm only justified by faith. Not my works, but by faith. But I want you to notice here in James chapter 1, look at verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Notice what is being said. He says, whoever looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues, he says, to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. My friend, the sad day in the church is is when people are able to hear the word of God presented day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and sit and remain in their sin. Because the Bible says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And what does he say about that? Check it again. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. I'm born again by the Spirit of God, but I don't do what he says. You've just deceived yourself. I know God's word tells me that I should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but I don't have to listen to that. You are deceiving yourself, my friend. I know the Bible says that I'm supposed to live a certain way, that I'm supposed to worship a certain way, that I'm supposed to act a certain way, that I'm supposed to, no, 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 I don't have to do all that, right? Hey, my friend, you are deceiving yourself if you think that you can be saved and continue to live however you want to live. You are bought with a price. I think of, uh, I was given a car one time. This is a while back. You all may remember. I had it when I first came up here. That 1978 Oldsmobile 98. Remember that big boat on wheels I used to drive? Man, that was awesome. Smoothest ride, man. You just lean those seats back and you just cruise on down the road, right? It was awesome. It was awesome. I used to love going downtown and all the guys would be like, whoa. But the the car was given to me by... Uh, uh, an individual, the, the man who owned it before me, he had passed away. He was an evangelist. And the kids were talking to my dad. And they said, uh, you know, we're afraid to sell this thing because dad prayed for everything that he had, that it would 
only be used for his glory. And what if we sell this thing and it blows up on somebody when they try to take it to the bar? It's a sanctified vehicle, right? It didn't belong to just anybody. He gave that car to God. No, you're not. But you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is the Lord's. You and I don't live for ourselves if we are born again by the Spirit of God. We are His. With all that in mind, I want to look this morning at three things, and we're going to be we're going to be done. Three things. Number one, I want to look at a caution that is presented in this text. I want to look at the consideration and then the confidence. Notice what it says here in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. I love that word profession. There are many people who profess something, and it's time to really get down to business, and do you honestly believe what you claim to believe? This is what the Word of God is is instructing us and challenging us to do. It's giving us a caution that we might not do it. He says, let's hold fast our profession. Let's hold tight. Let's cling to it with everything we've got. As we've looked recently at some of the different warnings against drifting, let us look at what could lead us to renouncing the faith that we once confessed. Think about some of the different things that might pull you away. Let's look at what pulls us, what pulls at us here. The first thing I want to look at is external opposition. Now, while it may be, it may be true, catch this, it may not be true in America. It may be true in other parts of the world, uh, but it's, it's sometimes not very blunt in America. It still can happen where family and friends oppose the decision that we made to follow Christ. It can happen. I remember when I was living a rebellious life and, and I fought coming back and going and coming back. It was it, when I d- decided I'm done living in the hog pen, it's time for me to get back to the palace. You want to talk about opposition, man. I had people placing bets on how long I would last. Literally, they would invite me just to, to in the hopes of getting me to come back, man. Quit living this garbage. Come back. There are people that do suffer great opposition. They lose their families, lose their homes. And this is something that can pull at them. If if I let my parents know that I have decided to follow Jesus and not what they wanted me to do, I, I might lose everything. I might lose my relationships. Dad might cut me off, whatever it may be. And they're fearing following Christ because of external oppositions. Understand that that can happen. The second thing is subtle tuggings. Subtle tuggings. 
Now, here's what I mean by subtle tugging. This is the casual uh, encouragements uh, from others to become less involved. You, you don't have to go all the time. I mean, God doesn't expect you to go to church that much, does he? I mean, it's, I mean you don't have to be that spiritual. Well, it's okay to miss church for something. Well, your kids need every possible advantage. Why? You know, you don't want to. You don't want your kids to grow up and be one of those weird Bible thumpers, do you? Get them around. Easy. This is the subtle tugging. <laughs> I've been a Christian longer than you, and and I can tell you, you don't have to be that spiritual. I can remember being told by an individual that when I was your age, I was that zealous too, but then I grew up and I got out of it. I looked at him with as much love and respect as I possibly could, and I said, I pray that that is never me. I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to have just enough. And the idea is that this, this pressure from society for parents to parent differently, uh, to let sports or other endeavors take the priority, uh, that you owe it to yourself to enjoy that time away. Uh, why do you have to go so often? Listen, this is the world tugging, and the world likes to pull at us. We need to be ready to say no. <laughs> I could meddle a little more, but I'm not going to. The third thing is neglect. Neglect. Where external opposition, subtle tuggings may be coming from other forces. Uh, neglect is your own fault, as Mama used to say. Can I just say it this way? Neglecting spiritual matters is simply laziness. Laziness. Self-centered laziness. (laughs) How many times you you go to work and you you know that one guy that's always playing solitaire when everybody's supposed to be doing something? (laughs) That guy's lazy. There's a lot of people in the Christian experience just sitting around playing solitaire. Or I guess today's analogy would be Angry Birds. Everybody playing on side and sit. Spend some time with the Lord. Don't be lazy. Neglect can cause us to not remain steadfast. This world pulls on us from every direction except toward Christ. And it's time for us to quit loosening our grips and start to tighten hold on the things of God now more than ever. Never loosen your grip. Well, you know, we used to go to church this many times, that many times, this many, and we used to do these type of things and those type of things. We used to pass out these tracks and those tracks. We used to do all these things for the Lord. But then we started to get a little busy and we started to loosen our grip a little more and a little more. And then, eh, we're okay. When you had a good, tight grip, what would you have told someone in your position today? People have asked me before for my advice, and I've, I've said, do you really want it? 
I remember you asked me, yeah, pastor, I really want, I really want you to tell me. <laughs> Just remember, you asked me. I did not come knock on your door. This is not me making the phone call. You asked me. And then I proceed to give them what the Word of God said. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is how you can get out of that. This is what you need to do. <laughs> well, Pastor, you, you, you don't understand. Remember, you asked me. Well, it's easy to say that. You're a pastor. I'm only telling you what I hope, that if I was in your position, you would tell me. Has, has your grip loosened recently? Is your grip as tight as it was 10 years ago? 20 years ago? Yesterday? If your grip is not that tight, let me encourage you by the mercies of God through the writings of the book of Hebrews, let us hold fast. The idea of holding fast is to clinging to it for dear life. But you're, you're hanging on a, on a branch at the top of a cliff about ready to fall. You are not going to loosen that grip, my friend. You're going to hold on with everything that you've got. So what then can prevent this renouncing? Well, let's look at a few things. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And how many have heard someone say something to the effect of, well, I used to be like that, but I learned not to be so... My friend, that's just lazy. It's just lazy. And it's time for us to own our laziness. Step one is recognizing we have a problem. Step two, address it. Let's not be, as James talked about, the person that we see ourselves in the mirror and then we just go on about our business and not address anything. There's a booger hanging out my nose, but I'm just going to leave it there. It'll be all right. I mean, nobody's going to do that. You look in the mirror, you see a booger hanging out, you're looking for a Kleenex as quick as you can. Half of God's people in here about ready to jump ship because I just said booger from the pulpit. I'd have gotten some amens out of the kids. Look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Drop toward the end of the chapter there. Look at verse 58. Paul, after he has just corrected, read 1 Corinthians. And you want to talk about a verbal correction. Woo, they got a spanking. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The stuff that we do for this world is in vain. I'm not as zealous as, as I once was. I, I calmed down. You're living a vain existence, my friend. What you do for him is never in vain. Look at 2 Corinthians. Go to the next book, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 14. Notice what it says here. Very familiar portion of Scripture. Oftentimes, sadly, only applied in marriage. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? 
I, w- I want to point out just a couple things with this. Looking at the way that the, that the world pulls us in every single direction, three things that I'd like to encourage you to do in order to not uh, be guilty of this loosening of the grip. Number one, resolve to cling with all our strength to the Christ, to Christ and his word. Number two, resolve to associate more with Christian influences. Let me give you those two once more. I didn't put these up on the notes. Resolve to cling with all of your strength to Christ and his word. We cling tightly to a lot of stuff in this world. We cling tightly to our money. And I preach you're talking about money again. You all been here long enough to know I rarely talk about money. I want your heart to be his. I ain't worried about your pocketbook. I want you to give your life to him. I don't care how many greenbacks you put in the offering plate. I have a treasurer for that. I want to know, do you give all of yourself to him? Resolve, determine with all that you have to cling with all your strength to Christ and his word. Second, resolve to associate more with Christian influence. (laughs) Notice something. God gives us all of him, and yet we hold back so much of ourselves and don't give him half of our time. Well, preacher, you gotta, I, I gotta, I got, I gotta work this much, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be a husband. I gotta be a wife. I gotta be a father. I gotta be a mother. I've got schoolwork. I've got this. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of the Lord. So guess what? You can go to work from nine to five for the glory of the Lord. You don't have to act like the devil when you at work from nine to five. <laughs> you can do that for the glory of God. Yeah, but I'm not a pastor. So? Be a ditch digger for the glory of God. Sing a spiritual or something while you're digging a ditch. Who knows? Somebody might come along, you can tell them about God. Resolve to continue moment by moment in this Christian experience. We look there Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 6, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. How much time do you spend with the people of God in comparison to the people of the world? Again, I'm not talking about removing yourself from the world. The Bible says, be ye in the world, but not of it. You spend as much time in the Word of God as you do on the golf course with your buddies that want you to come out on Sunday next time? 
How much time do you spend around the people of God, in the house of God? You know, we have uh, we have many different opportunities here at this church. You can come Thursday night for the care group ministries where it's a, uh, people are getting together and, and encouraging one another in the struggles that they've been uh, going through recently. We have ladies' Bible studies, both Tuesday mornings and then once a month on, t- on the first Tuesday evening uh, of the month. Uh, we have uh, opportunities. And look, if you're like, well, I don't ha- I'm not able to make it at that time. My best time is on Fridays at 3.32 in the p.m. Well, guess what? I'll come over and unlock the door so you can host a Bible study at 3.32 in the p.m. on Fridays. Come on! We have Wednesday night times to get into the Word of God. We've got Sunday night school of Tyrannus to get into the Word of God. Don't tell me you don't have opportunities. We're lazy. Burger King said, your way right away. And we bought it. Not just the sandwich. Look at the next thing here. We looked at the caution. These two will be a little quicker. Look at the consideration. Verse 15. Back in Hebrews again, verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. Consider our high priest's sympathetic and understanding nature. You see, the pagan priests, and it even found its way into Jewish culture, prevented access to God. Because they claimed that they had some sort of mystical power only allowing them to approach. And so you had to go through them. And if you could not go through them, you could not get to him. That put a lot of power in their hands. And so they wanted to make sure, uh, you know, uh, are you uh, putting enough money in the offering plate? I can't take your request to the Lord. Are, are you doing enough with this or that? Or you're doing this or that, and I don't want you to do this or that. And so I'm not going to take. You see, man longs to be able to have an audience with God. Go back to the book of Job and read it sometime. His number one request through the entire book of Job, he just wanted to talk with God. He got it, didn't he? He got it in a big way. But in Job chapter 9, there toward the end, in the 30s, there he talks about, he says, I wish that there was someone who could mediate. I wish that there was someone who could communicate between me and God. Guess what, my friend? You have that in the person of Jesus Christ. He comes into this world. He lives the life that you could not live. Died the death that you deserve to die, my friend. And he is ever interceding on your behalf before the throne of God, your high priest. And here's the beautiful thing. You take your problems to somebody else, they may not understand them, but I can promise you something, he does. This is what this verse is telling us. 
He's seeing that we have a great high priest. Okay, what's so great about this high priest? We don't have one who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understands. This is what makes him such a great high priest. He is perfect. And he came, suffered being tempted the same way you, my friend, can be tempted. Never sinned. And he's able to look to you and your weakness and in your struggle and in your trial and your grief and your sorrow, and he's able to say, I understand, I sympathize, and I am interceding for you. Wow. He understands our frailty. And while the priest of old may not have understood he does. You know, I'm, I'm afraid that often we hinder our ability to find help because we assume no one cares. He cares. I can promise you, he cares. Take a look at something else with me. Take a look at something else. Number three, it's the confidence that we have in our approach to God. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. This word for boldness bothers some people. They think boldness equates to arrogance. That's, that's not what's being said. It's not some arrogant pridefulness. This is, this is not the meaning. Uh, the word is paracius. Horatius means to speak openly, free to, uh, free to speak, unhindered, and they can say whatever is on their mind, and they can be confident in this approach. It says, let us therefore come boldly, unhindered. It's the idea of, in the Greek days that we have in our First Amendment, freedom of speech. You mean I can say anything to God? He understands me? I, I can talk to him about this struggle that I'm having? And Yes. But if I confess this problem that I'm, I'm suffering, I'm having a difficult time believing, I'm having a difficult time trusting, I'm having a difficult time with this temptation or that temptation, if I tell him that, won't he get upset? No, my friend. No. He cares. You can talk to him openly and freely. Now, this is not a boldness of sinning. Don't, don't think for a minute that this is saying, okay, so I can live a sinful lifestyle until I, and still ask God for anything I want. No. God forbid that we would, we would use what he has given to us, this freedom to approach him for our own selfish lusts and desires. How dare we think that we can live in sin and still approach God and give him our lists of wants? No. But 1 John 1, 9 is the epitome of this in that if we confess, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive and cleanse of all. And you can go to him in confidence that way.
What about you? What about you this morning? Are you clinging to the word of God? Moms? Are you remaining steadfast in the things of God above all else? This is what your children need from you beyond anything. Beyond a mama that knows how to cook a good meal, beyond a mama that knows how to hug them, beyond a mama that knows how to get them to softball practice, they need a mom who is clinging steadfast to God and his word. Give them that. Everything else needs to go by the wayside until that is sure. I want to give my children the best education that they can get. There it is. I want to give my children all the opportunities that they can have. They have an opportunity to have a relationship with the Creator. What better opportunity can you give them? They have an opportunity to know Him intimately. What better opportunity is there? I don't want them to be weird. I'd much rather have a weird kid who has a wonderful relationship with the Lord than to have a cool kid about ready to split hell right open. What do you want? You want to leave a lasting impression on your child that will take them not just for the next 70 years, but into eternity? Give them this. Give them this. Determine now to cling to God's word. Determine now to surround yourself and your family. Less of the world, more of God. Be careful who appears most important in your life. I'll go ahead and let it, I'll put it out there right now. Your kids, those babies, those precious little babies, they're precious. They need to see that you and your spouse comes before them. Ooh, not many amens on that one, preacher. Move on. But you know what else they need to see? They need to see that your relationship with him is more important than them and your spouse. As usual, we compare being made in the image of God. Moms, look at the image of this great high priest. In the midst of taking the children to soccer practice, to softball, to school, to Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, whatever Scouts, this, that, or the other, How much interceding on their behalf in the throne room of God have you been doing lately? How much leading them to the things of God have you been doing recently? Are you clinging to the word of God? Do you surround yourself more with the things of God and the people of God? And how confident are you in approaching God? Moms, dads, this applies to you too, everybody. You may not be perfect, but we have a perfect, compassionate high priest, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
He's ready to forgive, and his spirit is ready to empower you to live beyond your ability. Just come to him. Boldly, confidently, pour out your heart to the Lord. He's ready to hear. He's ready to respond. Do you know him personally this morning? It's where it starts. Father, I pray, Lord, that you were lifted high this morning. That my words did not get in the way. That, Father, as I presented you to the best of my abilities, that you were seen glorious, sufficient, powerful. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts today. Father, that if there's any here that do not know you as their personal Savior, that today would be the day that they get that ironed out. And Father, for those who are here and they do know you as their personal Savior, but they have started to loosen their grip, Lord, I pray that you would stir in their hearts and in their souls right now at this very moment a, a desire to tighten that grip up. Father, that you would put ideas in their head right now of ways that they can do this more successfully. They would just simply spend more time in the Word, more time in prayer, less time in the things of this world. Pray, Father, that you would watch over this time. Do with hearts what only you can do. Let's change them. Pray these things in your Son's name.